morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning. If you're watching online or whether you're here, take your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of John 12 this morning. And as you do and, and get ready to stand, let's just remind ourselves, we're going to be looking at the context in just a little bit, but the overall context, remember, we're still in the, the shadow, in the memory, whether it's directly after the, the resurrection of Lazarus or whether it's been two or three weeks. Um, we're not exactly sure, but it's still the context of this passage. And so as we stand to our feet with John chapter 12, just remember, go ahead and stand. The tensions... All right. We, we know something about tension, don't we? I mean, we've been living in this, this COVID and everything that it has affected and, and the people that it has taken from us. There's a tension. Tension in your life, tension in your work, tension in your school. There was tension here. It was growing. And it is the tension that is there. It's tension is here. It's, there's always tension when you bring Jesus into the equation of your life. And so it is here. So let's, let's get into the story here. John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we've gathered in the midst of our life, whatever has gone on this week, and whatever that's going to happen next week that we don't even know yet, we've gathered here as Christians. Lord, honestly... Because we can do nothing else but gather ourselves with other believers and worship your Son. Worship Him because He is worthy. We worship Him because we are worshipers, God. And we will worship something. And we have chosen today. We will worship you and you alone. We will remember, no matter whether it pers they persecute us, we will gather with your other believers, and we will remember that your son did it all, and he alone is worthy. 
And so we worship you now through the gathering of ourselves together, the opening of your word to us. Comfort us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How good a receiver are you? I'm not a good one. I'm just being honest. Not a good one. It's not a I'm not bragging. This is shameful. I am not a good receiver. I will do it myself most of the time. Why? I ask myself before I preach. I have to ask myself this question. Stephen, why are you not a good receiver? What if you ask me that? You know what I'm going to say? I just didn't want to bother you. Right? Mike's busy, you know, and so I just don't call him. If he had helped, if I would have called him, of course. Why did he not help? Because I didn't ask him. I'm not a good receiver. You know what at the heart of that? You know what at the root of all bad fruit? Oftentimes it's pride. It's just my pride. Here's what I asked myself this week as I was thinking about the message and thinking about Mary and contrasting Judas. What if someone serving you or serving me is actually part of their worship to God. And, and me and my pride saying, I don't want to bother you. And I'm actually quenching the spirit in worship in your life and you and mine. You see, we need each other, even to worship. So turn with me. Keep John 12 with me to Romans. We know this. I just want to start here this morning so that we understand Mary. So we, so we not only understand her heart, but the spirit of her worship so that we may model our lives so that we understand where she modeled hers. Romans 12. This is the so what application now of all that, Paul, all that Paul has said in Romans, Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, perfect. What is worship, you see? Is it the gathering that we're doing now? Or is it daily life? Or is it all of it? It is all of our lives ascribing value to the one we worship. Everybody worships. And we worship everyone. Everyone on the face of the earth is worshiping now with their life. They're worshiping with their choices that they have made this morning. And so we have two people. Have more than that really. Two people we're going to hone in on this morning, Mary's worship and Judas's greed. We could really call it Mary's worship and Judas's worship because both of them worship. You see, Christ's gift, this is why we always start here as, as believers. Christ's gift produces something in your life and mine. It's how you know you are a believer today. That that which Christ has given you is producing something in you that you could not stop. It has to work itself out. It's producing something in your life. It's what is producing in Mary's life this morning's worship. What Jesus produces is either love or hate. 
It is grace or greed. We see it in these two people, Mary and Judas. We hear from Judas today. Hadn't heard him speak yet. We hear him speak today. So let's get to context. Look at verse 1 and 2. It was six days before the Passover. Jesus came to Bethany. Where he came to was where Lazarus was. Where Jesus had raised him from the dead. And there was a dinner. You see that in verse 2? There was a dinner that they hosted for him there. Martha is serving. You see that? And Lazarus was reclining at the table. So there's your context. little sidebar here. Just for your mutual benefit. If, if you ever want to hear a pastor that does the best job I have ever heard of tying in the context of all the Gospels and putting it together when he preaches, it's John MacArthur. So I would challenge, if you want to hear him preach on this text, he, he ties all the Gospel accounts together in one story when he preaches. He preaches usually for about an hour. He does a good job. I would just commend you that as your pastor of someone that helps me. The context, the Passover's coming. In other words, this Passover is going to change everything. Now, God to hang with us here as, as Christians. Before Christ, before Christ became the Passover, the Passover and the Sabbath looked back towards something. It looked back towards the Exodus. It remembered it. That command to keep the Sabbath day, it looked back to that. But now, we are one week away from it changing everything. After Christ's death, no one would ever look at the Passover in the past because now Christ is our Passover. No one would ever look to a day and call it the Sabbath because Christ is our Sabbath. Jesus changed everything here. And we were just one week away. One week away. The Passover's coming. They went to Bethany. Now there's some disagreement here about... Was this Lazarus' home? I, I take the account that this is one time, so you can see this, and we'll jump there during the sermon. Matthew and Mark tell us this story. As a matter of fact, if you potentially even Luke, that this is one occasion that they're not at Lazarus' home, that they're actually at Simon the leper's home. We could, we could call him Simon the ex-leper, because if he was a leper, you wouldn't go to his home. Something's happened to him. Hmm, I wonder what that could have been. <laughs> so he's not a leper anymore. So if this was this occasion that Matthew and Mark and John has one account, then who's at the table is pretty interesting, isn't it? You have Martha busy at work, right? We remember that account in Luke. We have Mary doing what Mary does. We have an ex-leper and an ex-dead dude sitting at the table, right? What a meal to be at. I wonder what they were talking about. This was on the Sabbath. Some say this was just a Sabbath meal. I think verse 2 is pretty clear. This was a dinner that was given in honor of the Lord. He was central. How fitting a week before the Passover. So the point, Jesus receives an extravagant gift. He is the receiver this morning in this story. And he does receive it as a humble reminder of his death. His death is coming. 
Jesus received as Mary worships. Jesus, don't forget this, before Mary worships, here is the foundational reason she worships. Jesus is the giver. He's already given. What is he given? He's given Mary her brother back. Right? Lazarus is dead. Mary gives because she has been freely given. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, speaking of spiritual gifts. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see that? Christ's gift. The gifts that you have, the abilities you have, are a gift from the Lord. As Charles Hodge puts it, Jesus is the sovereign in his distribution of his gifts. They're his. And he gives them to us. That was what Mary understood. I've had my brother back. He's sitting at the table because of the grace of our Lord. She could do nothing else. We met, we were talking about this praise team. We went out this week, it was raining, and we had to look a little bit harder for folks that was out on the street, but we found some, and, and uh, it is amazing. Let me just step out here for a second. It is amazing. Uh, we generally just carry things like this with us. Pull up to somebody and say, you need anything? My name's Stephen. It's your name. That's where it starts. And this, this is what we give. This is what we have. It was interesting. The man that we met was, one was 50 and one was 80. Both of them homeless. A couple of the most contented individuals that you will find. But the one man looked at me and Mike as we gave him this little bag. And he said, why would you come out in the rain to give us things? I said, well, you see, this is not ours. This is God's. And he, God gave this to us because he wanted us to come out here and give it to you. This is how much he loves you. That's the simple reality. Jesus is the giver. We can just do nothing else but than to worship him through the way we give and through the way we receive. Mary responds to grace by, by worship. And her worship, I want you to get this this morning because this is the context. Her worship smells like something today. And so does Judas's. It smells like something. I want you to see that it was costly, it was humble, and it was public. Truly, we could say worship is simply love. It's what we love, how we love. Her worship or her love to Christ then was costly. It was, we could say it this way, it was sacrificial. It was considerable. It was about 12 ounces of pure nard. You couldn't, you couldn't go down to the CVS and buy that over the counter, right? This came from India or China. It had to be imported. That thing was carried over a camel or, or oceans a long way to get there. It was expensive. It was costly. It, it perhaps could have even have been an heirloom. They would keep it for a special occasion. They would oftentimes, and this is part of the context, they would use it to anoint the bodies because they didn't have embalming of people and their loved ones. It was kept in an alabaster jar. We know this from the other accounts, and it, would ha it was broken to be dispensed. 
when you've done this and you know you have just like me. You start to get off work, been busy all week, and you realize time you get in the car. Somebody in your family's birthday, right? And you got to party this afternoon. So what do you do? You swing into CVS, you get them a gift card and a, and a card, and you sit in the driveway and sign it right quick. Maybe they had, you got lucky and you had a gift bag or something you could put it in. Imagine that same occasion that your child knows about that birthday, but that your child didn't wait to the last minute. Your child took everything that they had in their room and they spent the last three days making it with their own hands. Your grandparents, you know your child's done this. Can I ask you something? Which is more precious? That which is costly. That which comes out of yourself. Out of the love that you have. That's the picture. Me and Michael was talking about the sermon as we normally do. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn. If not, just listen to it. It's 2 Samuel 24. You know the story. David is sinned. He went, to, he went to number the people. A little bit of root pride going on there in David's life. And you remember, God judged him. People start, start dying. His people start dying. And David starts praying. Pleading to have mercy. And God stopped the angel at the threshing floor. And the prophet Gad told David to, to make an offering. And so David goes to the person who owns the threshing floor. And he had his animals and all his equipment there. And he said, I want to buy it. I want to make an altar right here. And the, and the guy says, King, take it. Take my animals. Take the property. Take the threshing floor. It's, it's yours. You remember what David said? I will not offer to God that which cost me nothing. It's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible to me. Our worship should smell like something. It should cost us something. It should be sacrificial. That's what worship is. Worship is not convenient. We should repent as the Western church who have designed our worship around our own comfort. And our Lord died. Worship is sacrificial. It is costly, and it is humble, verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment and made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. John intentionally points to the feet of Jesus here for the purpose he's pointing towards Mary's humility. In Matthew 26, the parallel account of this, we read this in verse 12. Jesus responded, In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So this was humble. What, what John wants us to know is is not that most, most of the time this ointment was poured over the head, and it probably was. What John is wanting us to focus on is she was centered in on Jesus' feet. In other words, in her worship, she took on the form of a servant. It's humble. And, and connected with this is it was a public humility. This wasn't done where she cared. She didn't want anybody to know. She didn't care who was there. 
She most likely anointed both his head and his feet. John says, notice what she's doing. She unbound her hair to wipe his feet. You just didn't do that in that culture. She put herself, listen, to open scorn. And you're going to see that in a minute by what she did and how she did it. She took the lowest possible place in front of Jesus for her worship. She took on the form of a servant and she wiped her, his, that perfume off with her hair. In that culture, people would have been saying she must have loose morals. She unbound her hair in front of people. You never did that except in front of your husband. She didn't care. Mary's worship is costly. It is public. It is humble. And everyone, listen, everyone smelled it. There was no mistaking what she just did. She did it before everybody. No matter what it cost her, both financially or her character, her own credibility... A reputation she worshipped by contrast to this. In contrast, this is John's point. This is why he tells us the story the way he tells it. He wants us to contrast Mary with Judas. Because as Mary worshipped, so did Judas. We could see his worship in his complaining. Mary worships as Judas complains. You ever had something special, right? A special occasion, a special party. Just something special in your life and someone came in and ruined it, right? Maybe with their bad attitude because they were spoiled or maybe, you know, I used to see this all the time with birthday parties, right? You had a birthday party for Susie and Mary gets mad. You're like, Mary, this party ain't even about you. Why don't you leave? Right? She, they mess up the whole thing. That's what Judas comes in. We have this smell of sweet smell of the perfume Judas complaining pragmatism. Talked about pragmatism a little bit last week. This is very, it has this shroud of being noble. Listen, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, John, John don't want you to mistake who this guy is. One of his disciples who was to, about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This was an enormous sum of money. This was one year's wage for a normal dude. He says, why was this not sold? It, it sounds like almost common sense. It sounds pragmatic. It sounds noble. He's really concerned about the poor and did you know that the disciples chimed in with this too? It wasn't just Judas. Mark 14, another parallel account, says this. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. The disciples, you can see it clearly in the other parallel accounts. The disciples chimed in. Ringleader Judas. See, Judas had a place of some influence in the group. Do you see that? He, he says this and everybody else was sitting there going, yeah, this is just a waste. Why did she waste that? And all of a sudden, you see, in this sweet moment, <laughs> there was two fragrances in the room. One sweet, one sour. Don't miss this. Mary did what she did. 
because she could do nothing else. And listen, so did Judas. So did Judas. They both were worshiping. A good quote here, important to think about if, if you're waiting for someone, right? You're, gonna, you're never going to do anything. It's what J.C. Ryle said. If we do nothing until everybody commends and praises us, we shall never do any good in the world. Mary did what she did because she could do nothing else. Out of the grace that she has received, she must worship. And it must be costly. It must be humble. And it must be in front of everybody. But Judas, John paints him as both a traitor and a thief here. His worship had a smell. The the aroma, it was given off of selfish, greedy, and hypocritical. John wants to make sure we don't understand that. But John's got the wonderful benefit. We've all known this. You ever met somebody and you thought they were the most wonderful person in the world? Get about about 30 days in, you're like, (laughs) It's It's the beauty of hindsight. Wow, I didn't see that coming. John has that now. He didn't have it then. They all trusted Judas. We see his, Judas' worship then as being selfish. Judas was the hired hand of chapter 10. The one who fleed because he cared nothing for the sheep anyway. He was doing it for selfish gain, you see. That's why he was with Jesus. He thought there was something in it for him. And apparently there was. But as the tension rises, he realized time to jump ship. Judas was, is a warning for us because he looked just like a disciple. What did Jesus do for the others that he did not do for Judas? Did he not invest his life in him? Did he not love him? Did he not serve him? And yet, John does this. In chapter 6, John calls Judas a devil. In John 12, he calls him a thief. In John 13, he calls him a hypocrite. And in John 17, he calls him, depending on what translation you have, the son of perdition, the son of destruction, or another way to say it is a son of hell. His worship was selfish. It was greedy. Judas was trusted with the money bag. In other words, he was the, he was the group's treasurer. You've got to trust that guy completely. They did. And we see, now again, this hindsight looking back, Judas used to help himself to the bag. He was trusted. He was... Looked the part of a disciple, but inwardly he was selfish. He was greedy. He was a hypocrite. The argument Judas gives is an argument that if you've been in church long, you've heard it. Let's not spend the money on this. Let's save it. Let's save it for missions. Let's, let's use it to help the poor. When the heart motivation is they just want to keep it in their pocket. 
So can we just as the church have a little honest time right here? Because if you've been in the church long enough, you know this happens. You see, oftentimes we don't have that here, by the way. Every group has their own restricted budget account. That if you get money in there, you put it in some restricted account. And that group controls that money and that group. And if you say, no, no, we're saving that. We're going to use that for the Lord. We can, let me, let, me, let me get to my day when I was younger. We're going to use that money to, to reach our community. We're going to build a family life center with it. And so what do we do? We build a building and we put weights and a walking track and a room to do yoga and called it worship. We just have to answer our question. What kind of worship is that? Because if our worship is selfish and greedy inwardly, then we have a worship that smells more like Judas and Mary. It was hypocritical. He said he cared about the poor. He didn't care any for the poor. He wanted to keep it in the bag because he had his hand in the bag. He thought this was going to make him powerful and popular and wealthy, and it did not work that way. <laughs> First Timothy, Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, for the love of money is what? It's the root of all kinds of evil. It is not necessarily the fruit, you see. The love of money is the root. What grows out of it then is a certain, a certain flavor to our worship. It directs, you see, who we worship. You see, Judas worshipped like Mary did, except Judas was worshipping himself. Judas was a traitor and a thief. He was not benevolent. He did not care about the poor. He is the picture here. Mary and Judas both here is the illustration now, the living illustration of John 3, verse 20. It's this picture of light and darkness. Let's listen. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you see that? That though Judas looked like a disciple inwardly, he was dead men's bones. He was in it for his own self, for his own gain, for his own comfort, for his own glory. But that's why he hid his sin. Mary did what she did in front of God and everybody. Jesus had had enough of that. <laughs> we see Jesus confronting. And if you put the whole story together, he primarily confronted Judas, but in doing so, he confronted all the disciples. Verse 7, John 12. Jesus said, leave her alone. It's forceful, by the way. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Verse 8. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now this is coming. It'll be on our radar from now on. You see, Jesus had done what he had done in the past because 
His hour had not yet come. They wanted to kill him, but his hour had not come. They wanted to stone him, but his hour had not yet come. Remember when he went to change the water into wine? Why do you do this? The hour's not yet come. Now it's come. It's a week before Passover. The cross is around the corner. His hour had come. Now, did Mary know that Jesus was about to die? We don't know. Probably not. Except Mary was doing what she had to do. Mary was doing what she couldn't do anything else. But she sort of liked Caiaphas on the positive way. She was doing more than she realized. Again, parallel account, Matthew 26, 14. We see what happens at the same time. So at the same time that Mary was anointing Jesus' body because he was about to die, Judas was done. Same time, same Jesus. Verse 14 says, And one of the, the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. At this point, when Jesus said, Leave her alone, Judas says, I'm done. Done. And he apostatized himself. He went out and said, I'm going to betray him. Ironic now. Think about this. What Mary offered was a year's wage. Judas betrayed Jesus for four months so he was offended that someone would give a year's pay to Jesus because he wanted it for himself. But he ended up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver or four months' wage. If you got Matthew 26, let me just read. I love how these other two accounts grab this. Matthew 26 and verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the, world, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of You see, it is this picture of the fragrance filling the house because of the sacrificial offering of Mary. And in just a week, the Lord will give his life as a sacrifice that will go out through his instruments as a fragrance to the world. That's why we are here. As Mary worships, so do we. Mary worships, Judas complains, and the religious elite plot. Now, we could talk about the people, right? The people who are going to, to, to cheer for him and next week is going to be then crying out to crucify him in just a matter of days. But we'll leave them alone today. But notice the religious elite. He said, when the large crowd of the Jews heard, learned that Jesus was there, they came. So Jesus is, is popular. By the way, Bethany is only about two miles from Jerusalem. So this word that he had, 
healed, he had resurrected Lazarus, would have been permeating into the city. He was a popular guy at this point. So they came out not to see only Jesus. You see that in verse 9? But also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. This guy was dead. They couldn't argue with it. They, people were coming out to see. So the chief priest, verse 10, you see it? They made plans to put Lazarus to death. I mean, you could at least say that he was a, Lazarus could have been a hero or a medical phenomenon or something. He says, no, now they not only want to kill Jesus, they need to get rid of Lazarus too. His life and his witnesses were bringing people to Christ. What a triad of contrast here. As Jesus came to the end of his earthly ministry, we get this picture that there's always Marys and there are always Judases and there are always the religious elite that are only concerned about their own power and their own politics. Mary's sacrificial worship, Judas's hypocritical greed, the religious's jealous plotting. The question for us this morning is what does your life smell like? What does your life smell like? I'm not asking you what you do on Sunday. I'm not even asking you what you do in your quiet time. And I hope you have that. I'm asking, what does your life smell like? For that is our worship, our life. Our life is worship. Mary could do nothing else that day. We've got a, a freezer. It's a nice looking freezer. It's white. It's not too big. Doesn't take up much room in the, in the garage. The problem is that the freezer stopped working. Luckily, we were able to get some things out before it completely quit working. But I can tell you, it hadn't been working for about a week now. And when you open it, you get a sense of what that freezer really is. You know, I'm not even going to clean it out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to roll it out into the driveway, throw it on the back of the truck, and take it to the dump. That's what should happen. Because our life gives up an aroma. It gives an aroma. It just does. Don't expect anybody to clap. Mary did. Mary was scorned, by the way, for her worship. Jesus received it. The disciples scorned her. Jesus said, you're going to be talked about from now on. Look what we're doing this morning. Right? Fulfilling the words that the Lord said to say, our life should smell like Mary. I don't mean to be too direct. But it should scare you to death if your life smells like Judas. Later on, we read that the devil himself indwelled Judas. Judas opened a door. What does our life spell? In other words, we sang it just a few minutes ago. How am I responding to the King of Glory? Turn with me. I want you to see two passages and we're done. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. Simple, profound, practical 
Therefore, Ephesians 5 verse 1, because of everything that he has said in Ephesians up to this point, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, good. What does that look like to be imitators of God? Walk in love. How do I walk in love? We walk as Christ loved us. And he gave himself for us. Listen, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's how we live. Do not offer to God that would cost you nothing. Following Christ costs you everything. Salvation is free, but it costs you your life. You see, we just love the way we're loved. Listen, by the way, everybody does that. People are abused because of what's in their, inside themselves. They love out of what's in there, even when that love is actually hate. We love because we are loved. We walk in sacrificial love because that is what we have received. Hebrews 10.24 says the same thing that Ephesians says, but even more clear. Hebrews 10.24 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Can I just stop there for a minute? Because on occasion, I don't know whether you know this or something, somebody says things about me or even Pastor Micah. And so let me just confess something. If someone accuses your pastor of trying to stir up your emotions and your feelings, guilty. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells me to do. That's what that word means, by the way. It means to stir you up, to prod you on. Not to make much of me or to make much of yourself, but to make much of Him. It is our responsibility, brothers and sisters, to stir each other up. I am supposed to stir your emotions. If I'm not supposed to stir you, what am I supposed to do? It's our job, brothers and sisters, to stir each other's up toward the way we love each other and the way we love the homeless people. And the way we love the prostitutes. And the way we love your stressed out employees right now. And the students that go to school with you. How do we stir each other up? It's not complicated. It is practical. But it is sacrificial. He goes on to say in verse 25. By the way, these people are being persecuted. Context of Hebrews. No matter what it costs you. Don't stop worshiping. He's not talking about your individual worship here. He's talking about your corporate worship. You, we must gather together and worship our Lord corporately because we can do nothing else. And even more so as the day draws near. And brothers and sisters, it's drawing near. And so my encouragement to myself and to you this week over this text is let us declare with Mary that our Lord is worth it. Our Lord is worth whatever it costs, whatever I have to reorganize in my life to make worship a priority, to make sure that nothing in my life is affecting my worship 
in life because he is worthy. So let us worship him both in our life and in this place. Pray with me. Lord, we have seen that as Mary, all of her life was worship. Every time we get a picture of her, we see she just loved being with you. She loved being in your presence. She, she showed that by the way she treasured Christ above all things. The most important thing we have to give, God, is to show the world how much we treasure your Son. You can't give anything else. Because when I give that, I give everything. And so, God, I just want us to worship you now. As David reminded us, Lord, we will not worship you with things that cost us nothing. And so, Lord, we come to you with everything that we have, our lives, our, our finances, our time, our energies, our jobs, our families. Lord, give us the ability. Lord, we don't know what we're about to step into when we leave this place. All that we know is that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, even the season that we're in is an opportunity to say that you are worthy. It doesn't matter the storm. It doesn't matter how long the storm. We will worship you because you are worthy of worship. And so now, Lord, we come. We have gathered ourselves and now we come to this time and we are going to go to the tables to, out of obedience and out of remembrance that your son gave it all for us. Body broken, blood shed. We are adopted never to be lost again. Oh God, from that foundation, our heart swells and so we now sing and as we sing, we stir each other up toward living our life as a pleasing sacrifice to you. Not to become something, but because of who we already are. Because of Jesus Christ. Receive our worship now in Jesus' name. Amen.